Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pliskin Podcast. I'm your host, John Nicholson, and today I will be revisiting Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. right guys another spider-man episode and as luck would have it there will probably be another one in a week or two when i review spider-man homecoming which i am amazingly pun intended excited for now because i am in a spider-man mood lately i decided that i would revisit the sam raimi spider-man movies because i wanted to see how well they would hold up with me and if they were as or as spider-man 3 particularly was as bad as everyone remembers it being i was at walmart the other day and i saw that they had released a special edition blu-ray of all three of the films that included a small picture booklet with some behind the scenes notes from the director and actors and just some behind the scenes photos of the films now me being a child of the 90s and growing up with these films i decided that i would purchase it because I did really like Spider-Man, and I uh, hold those movies dear to my heart, so I decided I would purchase it. Now, they also had the new Amazing Spider-Man movies that Sony tried to reboot a couple of years ago with Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2, which didn't do so hot. The first one did pretty well, well enough that they warranted a sequel, and enough to where they thought they could build an entire universe around these films, and they even planned a Sinister Six movie. But things didn't work out for them. They didn't get the money they thought. And Andrew Garfield kind of pissed off the director of Sony by not showing up to this, some kind of party. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he pissed them off. So pretty much they were like, well, okay, we're going to try again. And we're not going to do these Spider-Mans with you anymore, Andrew Garfield. Well, that's okay because I did enjoy Amazing Spider-Man. And I liked the Amazing Spider-Man too. It wasn't very... um, I don't know, it, it had the balls to kill off Gwen Stacy, and I thought that was a, a gutsy move on their part, because they they did it, they killed her, she's, you know, she was going to die, and then the third one, you know, would probably introduce Mary Jane Watson, but it just didn't really hold up very well, Jimmy Fox's Electro was kind of wishy-washy, and Rhino was kind of a shoehorn character, and didn't really need to be in the film at all, and the whole build-up of the Sinister Six, and that mysterious man in black, just... I don't know where they were trying to go for it. It just wasn't very good. And they those movies can kind of be uh, put on the back burner and forgotten, honestly. And most people have forgotten about them. Seeing that Tom Holland has shown up and stolen the show and early reviews are in, and people are saying that this is the Spider-Man we've all been waiting for, that he is what we need, and that the MCU has finally perfectly cast yet again another character to play um, in their movies. And it's already to the point where sony has already extended their deal with marvel letting them do um they're planning a trilogy i think of these films because originally i believe tom holland uh, and spider-man the rights that they had agreed upon were only three to five appearances or um you know or yeah so that would include homecoming civil war 
the sequel to Homecoming, and then maybe two other cameos, which would probably have been in the Avengers two-part films. Um, but seeing that he's done so well already as um, Homecoming has yet to come out, people are already praising it to be in the best Spider-Man movie. They have probably seen, Tony has probably seen dollar signs in their eyes, and as greedy as they are that they want to hold on to that franchise, they're probably making more money off of it with the deal that they made with Marvel than they could on their own. And really, it's, you know, it's it's just, it's perfect marketing strategy. You know, they hold the rights to Spider-Man, get the money, um, still get a good chunk of money while Marvel gets to do all the heavy lifting, basically. And all Sony has to do is sign off on it and say, okay, that's fine, do that. Now, Sony is already planning a Venom movie and a Black Cat movie. And I wish they would hurry up and just make up their mind whether it's going to be set in the MCU or not. Because there will be an article that come out one day that says... Venom and Black Cat will not take place in the MCU, and they are starting their own Spider-Man universe. And then another person will come out and say, yeah, they take place in the same universe, that Tom Holland will one day meet up with uh, Venom. So, I don't know if that's Sony trying to be confusing and um, willfully obtuse, so therefore to lead us off the path that they know that it's going to be in the MCU, or if it's just Sony's being dumb and they're making these movies separate and going to ruin themselves yet again with some Spider-Man properties. So we'll see down the line where that leads. Now, I do like the fact that Tom Hardy is going to play Venom. I think that's a great choice. I think he'll do a wonderful job as Eddie Brock. I, I just He's not very young. Eddie Brock Jr. is a, you know, he was a college student, I believe, and even a high school student, some um, adaptions of the character. So I don't necessarily know how they're going to make this 40-something-year-old look and act like a high school student or what they're going to do with it. So we'll see when that comes out. But as far as it goes right now, Spider-Man is being played by Tom Holland. He's great. I really enjoyed him in um, Civil War, and I look forward to Homecoming. It was in my list of top five movies of the year that I uh, listed off earlier this year back in January. So let's move forward and get past that until we come to the review later on in the next couple of weeks. So let's go to the whole point of this episode, and that is to revisit the Sam Raimi trilogy of Spider-Man movies. Now, Spider-Man 1 uh, came out in 1999. It was one of the, you know, 1999 was a transitional year of movies where they were, you know, if you watch a movie from between the eight years of 1997 and like 2000 and say two, They've all got kind of got the same feel to them. They, you could tell that things were transitioning in a way, and Spider-Man was one of them. And it was the first really huge comic book film that was widely successful, and I would say one of the first big superhero wins. Now, of course, you can say Batman in 1989 was a huge one, which it was, but this, but that was very dark, um, and it, it, you know, it set a tone for Batman that Batman has yet to recover from. Um, but this was the first kind of very bright, childlike, successful superhero movie, if I am to base my opinion on that, which I believe it is. And it was good. You know, I remember seeing it in theaters. I got excited for it. I, you know, I loved that movie. I ran around, pretended to be Spider-Man. In fact, one of my very first costumes as a child was the, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, which, of course, this was before the movie even came out, so... You know, it holds. Spider-Man has always been near and dear to my heart. He's in my top five of superheroes. I love him. I love Peter Parker. I've always enjoyed the character. Now, Sam Raimi, you know, is best known for being a horror movie director. You know, he is most well known for Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. And so, when he was 
you know, hired to be the director of Spider-Man, I, you know, even as a young boy, I remember thinking people saying, this guy is going to direct a, a comic book movie for children and families? How's that going to work out? So, you know, it came out and it was successful. Now, there were some things in it that, re-watching it, that I was like, okay, I could have, you know, that could have been a little different. Um, for instance, the big one was the Green Goblin. Now, Willem Dafoe, I will say, was a great Norman Osborn. I thought he was perfect as the character. He did a great job playing the kind-hearted father and kind of a, you know, well, he was kind of a dick, actually, when he was a father. But he was, still, he had a, a, a kindness to him that uh, was taken away when he experimented on himself and gave, gave himself that um, smoke, that serum that turned him into the Green Goblin. And when he eventually does transform into the Green Goblin, I thought that it was done well. He was, you know, it's Willem Dafoe. He's going to be crazy and insane, and he did it. He does it so well that it fit perfectly for the character. Now, my biggest complaint, though, is the outfit. Now, you know, those who know the comic book knows that the Green Goblin pretty much wore kind of a rubber mask, basically. And in early sets, uh, early pieces and and costuming of the film, there's actually a costume that they made. That was that looked like that. It kind of was a rubbery mask that made him look like an actual goblin, and it was scrapped at the last minute. And in this age of let's make uh, make it as um, believable as possible, whereas Christopher Nolan took the route with Batman, where he said that it could actually happen in our world, where Bane wasn't, you know, hopped up on a venom serum that turned him into a hulking monster. He was powered by a gas that eased his pain and made him not feel, um, you know, pain, so he could be a lot stronger. As well as Batman, all his gadgets and stuff were pretty realistic for the most part and could happen in the real world. So, I can understand why they tried to make the Green Goblin's mech suit um, more believable. Kind of a real world um, Green Goblin. But I thought the mask was just, looking back on it, it's kind of ridiculous that the military, I doubt, would make... I mean, sure, they would probably want to make something that was intimidating, but I honestly doubt they would make a mask that had big, bulging, uh, you know, orange eyes with spiky ears and, and fangs for a mouth. That just doesn't seem uh, very believable. But it's, you know, to make him the Green Goblin, he needed to be wearing something that looked like a goblin. So that was kind of my big complaint. But the glider and all that stuff looked great. The pumpkin bombs, you know, they didn't look like little miniature pumpkins, which is fine. That, that to me, uh, was a good change. And one of the biggest changes that Sam Raimi did in the Spider-Man universe was make Peter Parker have organic web that his body produced instead of making web shooters. Now, even to this day, I still people still complain about that, that they either loved it or they hated it. I thought it was an interesting choice, and I don't hate it. I thought it worked for Peter Parker in the, that universe. I thought it worked for Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Now, I love that in the new... In, in even later films with Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland, they actually have web shooters, and... That is true to the comic books because Peter Parker didn't have organic web. But whenever that movie, when Spider-Man came out, I remember uh, Stan Lee was even like, I never would have considered making the web organic. Not because he didn't thought it was a dumb idea, but it just never occurred to him that making the person be able to shoot the web out of their wrist would be a, a, you know, a real idea. The fact that they had a person that was swinging around with spider-like reflexes was um, crazy enough. So, you know, Stan Lee gave it his approval thinking, well, that's, you know, that's an interesting choice, you know, so... Again, I thought it was interesting. I thought it, it really played well with uh, the film and stuff. So that wasn't that's I, I was one of the people that enjoyed that. Now I do enjoy the fact even more that they've included the web shooters in the film because Peter Parker builds them. 
you know, it, it really shows how smart he is that he creates this web shooter. So, and that's something that they did in the Amazing Spider-Man, showing Andrew Garfield building it and the kind of the trials and errors of building it, which I thought was, you know, a nice touch of that film. Um, in Civil War, they don't they they show that Peter Parker has web shooters. They don't show him building him, and I don't know if they ever will. And of course, um, Tony Stark gets him probably upgraded web shooters in the film. So. Again, Marvel has kind of taken a little bit of creative liberty with the film itself to um, how he built his suit and the fact that his suit is Tony Stark built and it has you know all these gadgets and stuff in it. So it's, that'll work, and I think that'll be okay. I don't think that's going to uh, ruin a Spider-Man. If anything, it'll add to him as a character. So we'll we'll talk more about that whenever that movie comes out. So Peter Parker had the web, sh- or, you know, organic web, which I liked. I thought it was interesting how on his wrist he had, it looked like a spider web symbol uh, where his web uh, shot out of. I thought that was interesting, but um, that again, that was just a character design that Sam Raimi came up with. Um, but as far as it goes, the first film was a pretty solid movie. It still holds up. I still thoroughly enjoy it. And again, I, I think most of it might just be the nostalgia factor that I have for that film. But watching it, I, did, I wasn't cringing the whole time, or I didn't really think, oh, man, that's that." I just enjoyed that as a kid, which I'm looking at you, Casper. That movie, I will say, is a terrible movie, and the only reason people love it is because they grew up with it. it Casper is a bad movie, but, uh, I, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't hate it, but watching it again, it doesn't hold up with me at all, and I was like, ugh. So, again, Spider-Man 1 was still pretty good. One thing I really loved about it, and movies don't really do it this day, uh, is they don't start out like right into the action most of the time. They have a good 30, 45 minutes of the first act are just character building and leading up to the character becoming the character that you and love. I think that origins are fine, but sometimes you don't need to spend an hour and a half telling the person who giving you who they are before they put on the cape or the mask. Like Doctor Strange. Took him forever to finally become Doctor Strange. Iron Man, in a in the sense, you know, it wasn't until the very end of the movie. Um, Marvel just kind of got into that um, niche when they made films that they, with the first film introducing the character, they spent a lot of time character building, which I'm glad that's not what they're doing with Spider-Man. He's already Spider-Man. Uncle Ben's already dead, you know. So I think that's probably why people are praising it for being so well, is they don't spend, you know, a good chunk of the movie making you understand why they're becoming the character because we know these characters. We don't need a huge backstory on them. Guardians of the Galaxy was pretty good about that. They didn't spend a whole ton of time with backstory. Most of the backstory was uh, through spoken dialogue and expositional conversations instead of actually showing Rocket Raccoon being built or him meeting Groot or, you know, Star-Lord becoming a pirate and all that stuff. So that's, I think, another reason why Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the better of the Marvel films, whereas Doctor Strange is on its, you know, kind of the last lower leg of it. Um... But, uh, yeah, Spider-Man, you know, he, I, watching, I, I just realized how quickly he gets into being Spider-Man. It's like in the first 15 minutes, he's already swinging around with his web and practicing his power. So that was refreshing to me, even though it's an older film, to see that, thinking this is how Marvel, this is how just all superhero movies really need to be. Spend a little bit of time giving the, you know, the character, but don't spend too long telling us uh, the person we, we're buying these takes because we want to see them run around in a costume and fight, fighting bad people so uh, that's one of the biggest praises i have for the original spider-man film and to me again it still holds up toby mcguire um you know he he's got an awkward face uh, that's one thing i really noticed in this trilogy is that toby mcguire's kind of got a weird face and he makes some odd uh, <laughs> 
just expressions when he's fighting or when he's yelling and stuff like that. So that's why looking back on it, I would say that now that I've seen what a better Peter Parker is, I understand why Tobey Maguire is. It's good that Tobey Maguire didn't stay Spider-Man for at least four movies. That mo- that it was, he was good in it at the time. But looking back, they did much better because Tobey Maguire is, you know, he's not wonderful. He's not a great actor. He really isn't. He just got really lucky with a Spider-Man and rode that train for a little while. And I think his career's kind of slowed down because he's no longer um, Spider-Man anymore. And people have kind of realized, oh well, you're not that great of an actor, so we're not gonna hire you anymore. Again, that's an opinion based. So if you love, to, uh, you know, if you love him, then you know by all means love him. But I'm just saying uh, what I think. So Spider-Man One still holds up well. Uh, oh, and J. Jonah Jameson, he's introduced in this film. One of the reasons why his character was never in the Amazing Spider-Man is Sony has said that it was he um, that he played him so well in the movies that they couldn't bring themselves to recasting him. That that, that was cast so perfectly. That they just couldn't bring themselves to art to do it. And so that makes me wonder what they're going to do with this new uh, Spider-Man with Tom Holland. Are they going to recast J. Jonah Jameson? Or are they going to do the same thing where he he was cast so perfectly they just couldn't that J.K. Sim- you know they can't just beat J.K. Simmons and they really couldn't. Um, I don't think. But we'll see. Um, if he appears, they'll probably do it in a, in a very good way, which is funny to me because J.K. Simmons is now Commissioner Gordon, so he's you know changed sides in a way. So. Again, good film. I still enjoy it, and I will probably watch it again. Um, Spider-Man 2. Now, if I've ever talked to anybody about Spider-Man 2, you will know that it is my favorite of the trilogy. It's um, As far as Spider-Man movies go so far, it is my favorite. Now, once Homecoming comes out, that may change. But as far as it goes right now, Spider-Man 2 has been my favorite solo outing of the Web Slinger. I, lo- I, you know, I think that Sam Raimi really got into his own. He found his a groove with that film. It... You know, he, he started the film right off the bat with Spider-Man. Uh, Doc Ock got introduced very quickly. His backstory as to why he became uh, an evil mechanical robot, I thought it was clever. I thought the arms looked good. I just, I loved that film. I thought it, you know, it, again, it still holds up. And the fact that Harry Osborn finds out that Peter Parker is the uh, per- person responsible for the death of his father and Harry's discovery of his father's secret that he was the green goblin after all um it was you know it was good you know i just there's so much i could say about spider-man 2 but again the complaints that i i probably have is mary jane watson she was kind of whiny the whole time um there were a couple of times where i thought that they made her too pretentious i guess is the word i don't know like the whole she you know peter parker's trying to um He's trying to sympathize with her in this one scene because she isn't doing well with her acting. And she's like, don't give me that speech, Peter. And it's just like, he's trying to help you. Don't don't brush him off like that. I don't know. Again, if you're watching the film again, it, it was later on, she you know, it does apologize for it in a way. But still, there were just some character choices with her in the second one that I had a little bit of issue with. But again, nothing that ruined the film for me. I still really much, very much enjoyed it. I love that Peter Parker loses his powers um, in it halfway through, and they do that beautiful shot to recreate that um, legend, uh, legendary, that um, very infamous cover of Peter Parker leaving his spider suit in the trash can, and they, I, I pretty much, you know, it was a complete, re- uh, well, what am I trying to say, recreation of that cover, there we go, um, where he's walking away in the suits in the trash can. 
now, if uh, I remember when I watched the movie, I thought they were going to go the route of like the comics and then the amazing Sp- and the the Spider-Man television show, which the '90s Spider-Man television show you cannot beat. That is the best show ever. I will take that to my grave, and it will always be my favorite incarnation of Spider-Man. But in it, Peter Parker starts losing his powers because his mutation is about to go into hyperspeed, and he becomes a giant, literally a giant spider. And to stop it, he has to get Doctor Connors to develop a serum to, you know, slow in his mutation. It's a whole, it's a whole big story arc. And I thought that's where they were going. But what Sam Raimi did instead was. Peter is so stressed about being Spider-Man, the fact that he loves Mary Jane, that they're kind of in a fight, and, uh, you know, his life is in a transitional period, that the stress kind of sto- stops his powers. Um, and it was just kind of like a, uh, really, in a way, a, well, not a midlife crisis kind of thing, which, even though he's only a college student, but he was going through an ex- existential crisis, and so his powers, he didn't need them. He needed to see that the world really did need Spider-Man, and so... Uh, and eventually his powers do come back, and he goes and whoops the, uh, you know, Doc Ock, and Doc Ock then goes, you know, realizes that he's evil. And I thought that was, I, I don't know, I just, I loved how they handled that. That the 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 arms are what kind of control him. That they are an artificial intelligence that lead him to believe that he needs to do this to to save mankind, to build this renewable energy. So because his actions are with good intention, he's just blinded by what he wants and doesn't really realize that you can't create this power that's going to be sustainable that it's going to you know engulf the earth in this giant sun basically so spider-man 2 still holds up still love it still a wonderful film um solid sequel uh to me honestly i i thought it was better than the first one um and that's very rare with movies especially with trilogies that the sequel's better but um it is i enjoyed it uh, very much so and it still holds up. Now, on to Spider-Man 3. The one that everybody talks about. The one that they slate is the reason why Sam Raimi got kicked out of Spider-Man. Which, in a way, it was. Um, let me first say that it's not as bad as you remember. It really isn't. It's uh, especially considering that we've had a lot of more junky movies been released since then. Uh, rewatching it, I was expecting to be, you know, just upset grossed out just mad not enjoying it the entire time but that wasn't the case honestly if i had to say the bad part was just act three that's when it becomes a clusterfuck of a movie uh that's when everything kind of converges and makes a mess of itself whenever you have venom trying to come in there and you know the just the choice that he made with eddie brock and to give him fangs was dumb Sandman's story was it was doing very well, and then all of a sudden, like he kind of takes a back burner for a minute while Venom is being introduced, and then he comes back, and suddenly he's like, "Yes, yes, I need to stop Spider-Man by teaming up with this guy." And then the whole Act Three fight scene, uh, it you know, it just kind of that's what ruined the film was Act Three. Um, the first few parts of the movie with Sandman being introduced, I thought did well. Um, I now to be unfair, I didn't watch the theatrical version of the film. The film, the DVD came with two versions. The theatrical cut and the editor's cut and the editor's cut is what i watched the editor's cut is actually about five minutes shorter than the theatrical cut because they replaced a scene with um they took a scene out from the film where aunt may gives peter the ring back which again is an unneeded scene it just you know it's kind of slows the uh the film down they took that scene out they cut a couple of scenes short but not much and then they put in a scene where Sandman visits his daughter and he's a, a giant sandcastle which I thought was pretty sweet 
Um, again, his motivations were very clear as to why he was robbing banks and evil. He wasn't just evil for the sake of being evil. Eddie Brock had the same thing, but it wasn't done so well. It was very much a, I don't know, uh, the symbiote. It just, you know, I thought Venom wasn't done very well. They could have done it a lot better uh, than they did. Um, Topher Grace shouldn't have been cast as um, uh, Eddie Brock, I don't think. They should have done, they should have gone another route with him. I think it was just because he was coming off uh, that 70s show and everybody was, you know, the, the, a big up and coming and that's why he was probably cast, but I thought they could have done a lot better. And also they had Gwen Stacy, which was coming in late into the game. Um, for those of you who don't know, Gwen Stacy was Peter Parker's first girlfriend until she gets killed and then he meets Mary Jane Watson uh, in like his college years. But in uh, the Sam Raimi universe, Mary Jane Watson was a high school student. He knew her all his life. She grew up, she was the girl next door. And... Um, so that was an interesting choice that they went with in the film. So introducing introducing Gwen Stacy this late in the game seemed a little um, pandering to the to the to the fans. Like, oh well, don't worry, we didn't forget her. Here she is, and uh, she again was kind of unneeded because about halfway through the film she kind of disappears and you don't see her again um, because the whole um, he you know Peter Parker goes emo and you know takes her to that dance club that jazz club where Mary Jane is working to you know to kind of say, oh, we broke up and you didn't marry me. And, you know, again, it, it was it, she was kind of unneeded. She did all right. They cast her well. But uh, at the end of the day, she could have been, she couldn't have been in the film and they could have done something. Like, he could have just been meeting up with a, a random girl and it not it, it would have worked out just fine. Um, Harry Osborn, again, was kind of, kind of weird how they uh, worked him in the third film. Goblin and the, the fact that he had updated new uh, suits, I guess, either they're supposed to make you believe that Either his father built them and is like trying to upgrade the Green Goblin suit before he was killed, which I don't see how he had the time to, or between the events of Spider-Man two and three, um, Harry takes it upon himself to build more, uh, you know, upgraded suits. So I, I don't really know. They don't really explain it, um, but it's fine. The whole amnesia part of the film seemed a little, um, I don't know, weird. I, I thought it was interesting how they. Peter thought he was fine by knocking him out, and then he wakes up, and he's like high school Harry Osborn. He doesn't remember anything after that. So I think that that kind of seemed like it was done to kind of slow things down in the story so they could focus on other things before they brought back the Green Goblin again. Um, again, I, I enjoyed Sandman. I thought it was, the scene where he becomes Sandman and he first uh, it shows like the close-up of those greens, it still is a beautiful scene. The uh, cinematography, the way they filmed it, the animation, uh, it... It looks so real. It actually looks like realistic sand is coming to life and becoming a person. Uh, it's it, it it still rivals you know you know just things today in films. So that's the Sandman was honestly the, some of the best animation in superhero movies, and it's a shame that that movie has been placed with such a bad taste on it because it is you know the music. Uh, that was also another thing they did in the editors is they went back and remixed the music and kind of made it more. Um, deep and had made more richer and more fuller orchestra sounding and it, it it does show it did make a world of a difference in the film so sandman was good if they just stuck with him instead of venom or if they did it in, a, in such a way that venom was handled better they could have done with two villains but it just there was they were trying to juggle so much and i think sam raimi felt like he was gonna probably be done with spider-man after this one or he felt like he needed, I don't know, I really don't, I think it was a lot of to do with the studio head wanted Venom, 
and he didn't so he kind of forced him into the film at the, you know kind of in the last bits of uh, pre-production so i think that's one of the major problems is there was a lot of budding heads with spider-man 3 which is why it didn't work out as well as it could have been because after spider-man 2 it seemed like sam raimi had his groove set and that he could have done so well with the third one and i remember when i saw the trailer i was very excited for it so you know it's again spider-man 3 is not bad it's not as bad as you remember. The, the the parts that you are thinking that are bad are the are just what's bad about the film. The the fact that Eddie Brock has fangs, um, when he when his face peels back with the symbiote, which doesn't make any sense. Um, emo Peter Parker when he's dancing in that one scene that was just to me. I feel like that was Sam Raimi's way of kind of giving the middle finger to Sony. Like, well, fine, if you're gonna fight with me on this, I'm gonna add this dumb scene that's really gonna you know affect the film, giving him like. You know, obviously he's wearing eyeliner and his hair's all pushed down and stuff. I, it it just didn't. It I don't know. It wasn't done very well, and they he could have looked normal with the symbiote because in the in every other carnation incarnation of uh, the black suit Spider Man, he looks fine. He's just you know mean. I don't think he really goes through a dramatic appearance transformation other than the fact that he's wearing a black suit. So, um, it it was just I don't know. I didn't I didn't really like it very well. Um. So yeah, that's that's one of the biggest cringeworthy parts of Spider-Man Three was just emo Peter Parker and Eddie Brock towards the end of the film. Now, how they ended, you know, how he discovered that he could stop Eddie Brock by you know putting those bars up in that construction site and hitting them and then separating him from the symbiote. It was pretty cool and um, I liked that. And you know, he used the pumpkin bomb to blow him up. You know, I thought it was a a good way to end the character. But again, Act Three was just kind of you know eh. Uh, Sandman, you know, he lets him go. He forgives him for killing his father. That was another thing about Spider-Man 3 that was kind of felt shoehorned in was that it turns out that Sandman was actually the man who pulled the trigger on his uh, grandfather, or his uncle, not his grandfather, his uncle, and killed him. Um, I, I felt like that was just put there to add um, emotion to the film and give it some drama. Uh, again, unneeded. They, he could have just been, just as well have been... Uh, mad at Sandman for something else, but that's they needed something to make Peter Parker freak out when he was wearing black suit Spider-Man in a way to make his uh, the symbiote attractive to him. So uh, I can see why they put that in there, but it just, I don't know, it, just, I, it never really sat well with me that he was the real killer of uh, Uncle Ben. Um, you know, so again, Spider-Man 3, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't as bad as you remember. It still had some bad parts, and it is the worst of the trilogy. But if you go back and watch it, I don't think that you will um, hate it as much. So I would suggest watching the editor's cut if you get the ch chance to. Um, uh, that's the one that I watch. That's the one that I will, if I watch it again, that will be the one that I watch. Um, but yeah, so the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, I feel, still holds up. It's got uh, some dated parts to it. It You can watch it and think, this is very much from the 90s. But it's not to the point where, like, you know, if you watch TV shows that started in the early millennium and then went on to the late millennium where they had, like, flip phones instead of touch, you know, iPhones. And, you know, it's kind of not like that because, luckily, uh, they kept the movie pretty well um, uh, timeless in a sense where they didn't show a lot of technology and stuff that wasn't, you know, the big mainstream technology. So that's good. But yeah, um, go back re if you want to buy that Blu-ray. I, I got it at Walmart. I don't know if they have it at uh, Target or other places. I'm sure they probably do. But it was twenty bucks. Uh, definitely worth picking up to if you enjoyed those films because 
I always love them. I always will love them. Um, even if I have, you know, issues with them, I will still watch them. Again, for mostly the nostalgia factor. Um, Spider-Man 1, 2, still hold up, still love them, still good. Spider-Man 3, not as bad as you remember, but probably um, not going to be your favorite. I doubt you're going to watch it, and it's going to completely change your opinion on the film. But you may look back on it and say, I was probably wrong by hating that so much. Um, again, that dance scene is probably, like the, the emo dance scene is probably the worst part. Um, and other than some simple character choices, it wasn't it wasn't unwatchable. I sat down and watched the whole thing and wasn't uh, bored or you know upset the entire time. So, very good stuff. Very good stuff. So that was my revisiting of the Sam Raimi trilogy of Spider Man one, two, and three. Um, I will be back soon for the review and discussion of Spider Man Homecoming, which oh, I am so excited for it. I'm just. I'm ready for it. I have not been more ready for a film since probably Logan. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to see probably, I'll probably see it three or four times. That's how, it's probably how good it's going to be because I love Spider-Man. I always will. And Tom Holland has stolen the show for me. So already, so uh, look forward to that in your feed on Facebook and on my Twitter account. And I will post uh, links on my Instagram as well. Thanks for listening to Pliskin Podcast, and I will see you next time. Remember, kids, with great power comes great responsibility.